As Mauricio Pochettino's old club Spurs takes on what could be his next club, Manchester United, the Argentinian must now reflect on becoming the latest Paris Saint-Germain coach to oversee a complete and utter shambles in Europe. Could he move from a club packed with underachieving and overpaid stars with no cohesion to a club with... Well, you get the idea. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No one's underachieving or overpaid on this show. Certainly not the Catwoman's My Batman betting expert, Mark O'Hare. Uh, Mark, I know we have a specific show usually uh, for the Champions League, but we have to talk about that PSG collapse against Real Madrid. Uh, they were 2-0 up on aggregate and proceeded to collapse in incredible fashion with the winning goal for Real Madrid in the tie coming 10.5 seconds after the previous goal. Uh, what does that do to Pochettino's reputation or is this a group of players that's simply uncoachable? I think there's possibly truth in both. Um, it's, I'm still trying to register what actually happened on Wednesday night because it's, I still think, you know, how many, however many times you see matches like that unfold, it's still quite hard to understand or, or work out what's actually gone wrong because PSG were in such complete control for an hour and they controlled the first leg as well superbly and then just to collapse in the manner that they did yeah, it's, it's hard to kind of understand what, what's gone wrong there. And there must be something inherently wrong in the DNA makeup of that squad or, or of that club, possibly a bit of both, uh, to see them like fold like a pack of cards. And, you know, whether it was a foul, whether it wasn't, it's, it's irrelevant, really. Donnarumma's made a mistake. He shouldn't be messing about with the ball at his feet in that position when you're 2-0 up. Um, but the capitulation, the collapse, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of register, really. And was you this know. the worst one? Was this even worse than the remontada? Because it feels that way to me. Because for all the reasons you say, I mean, it looked as though Mbappe was shredding them at will on the counter. They were in complete and utter control and they just threw it away. Yeah, I, I think I'm in more shock about this result than, than previously because of that. Because they seem to be such so far so much better than Real Madrid and you know Pochettino was toast anyhow but I think this is just going to accelerate things I expect him to be gone before the end of the season now and um yeah I have to admit I was I was a bit surprised a bit disappointed actually in, in his in his first 11 that he fielded in midweek uh, I didn't think he had the cojones to sort of drop one of the the big four big three forwards um I think we saw in the first leg that they can be much better when there's just two of them operating there and you know with with the three of them they're just unbalanced and lopsided but you know it's easy to say that in hindsight because they played really well for an hour and they could have easily cut Madrid in half and scored three or four goals so obviously Mbappe had a couple ruled out but ultimately you look at what's gone wrong and you know playing a back four Hakimi's not suited to that I think he's much better and much more effective as a wing back um, it's going to be kind of sacrilege to criticize this guy because I love him so much but Marco Verratti for the wonderful footballer he is and how influential he was in that first leg. Beautiful eyes, lovely guy, but just loses the plot in, in those loses the plot in those kind of environments. And he's a liability in that final half hour because he loses well, there's no leadership, there's no composure. But he wasn't alone in that. I don't want to just single him out, but you know, he's just going off doing his own doing his own thing, really. And oh, yeah, I'm struggling to kind of find the words to describe it. But my overriding feeling of the whole match, even in the first hour and then the last half hour was Neither of these two teams are going to win the Champions League. Um, 
I, I think, you know, there might be illustrious clubs with great histories, particularly Real Madrid and, and stacked with quality on both sides. But I still think they're a long way off the big three in England. And um, yeah, just just still in shock, really, after what we've seen. It sounds like, you know, there should have been a Valentine's card a few weeks ago uh, from Mark to Marco Verratti. Lovely stuff. That was a, a delightful moment. Uh, the data doctor is in. Jay Colescothorpe from InfoGoals put the PSG branded XG robot into the trash compactor for another season. Jake, we were all pretty sceptical about PSG's chances of winning the Champions League this term. And we were right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we'd have been proven right had they got through past Real Madrid, like Mark said, I don't think we fancy either of these two teams to really win the overall, the big trophy, if you like. But the way in which it happened is just so typically PSG, isn't it? I mean, we've seen over the last however many years some of the, the sort of calamities that, that they've under, undergone. I mean, PSG, the, but Barcelona one is the obvious one, but also Manchester United, let's not forget, they were the first team in Champions League history to win 2-0 away from home and then get knocked out. Um, it just seems to be in the DNA uh, <laughs> to these kind of sort of meltdowns and I wonder if there are still some mental scars there I mean you could well that feels this- like it doesn't it Jake doesn't this feel like an accumulation because it's not just in isolation this as you say all of those collapses and a lot of the players who are there have, have lived through all of those and as soon as things start to go wrong you can see the panic on the faces can't you well, that's the most sort of concerning thing because we're not talking about in League Two footballers here. We're talking about like Kimpembe, World Cup winner, Donnarumma won the Euros, Marquinhos is like regular starter for Brazil, and it, you know they they just looked completely all over the place after Donnarumma sort of gifted the the Real Madrid first goal, and you know Verratti in there, more experienced head, as Mark said, you would have expected a bit more from him in terms of calming the situation down. They did have a spell of about five ten minutes where they had really good possession after conceding that first goal. But, you know, they didn't learn the lesson. <laughs> Donnarumma, they're trying to pass out from the back and the second goal came from something similar, getting caught out. Um, and, you know, the third goal, well, sorry, the third goal came from something similar. The second goal came from a break from Modric, didn't it? Who ended up playing lovely yeah. pass through. Um, yeah, just I'm just shouting at the screen, just foul him. Just bring him down. He's run past four or five players. Like, you know, if that was Real Madrid on the other side, I think we saw Carvajal do something similar to Mbappe. Just took him out and got took the yellow card for it. <laughs> he, ne- he nearly bashed him out the stadium for that. Exactly, one. but you know he, those kind of things. I was really surprised that a PSG player didn't just 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 hack him down, take the yellow, move on because you could see the space they were breaking into. But these, you know, these are the kind of things that PSG do tend to do regularly, and um, for whatever reason, they do just have a real mental block in this competition. The age-old arguments: is, is league earned too easy for them? Do they not get tested enough? You know that we could throw that into the mix, but I think ultimately the makeup of this squad is just not right for winning a major trophy like this because they're so top-heavy. Trying to get Neymar and Mbappe, Messi to do any kind of pressing is you know near now and impossible. Um, and you know by having those three in the team, it really does weaken the central midfield area, and it does put a lot of stress on that back four. Um, and the goalkeeper to sort of get things, keep things tight. So, yeah, just a, a really disastrous night, and and it all came from complete and utter control of the tie as well. Like they they only have themselves to blame. They shot themselves in the foot, um, really, because they were for the first what was it 150 minutes of the tie, they were by far and away the best team, by far and away. It wasn't even close. They'd limited Real Madrid to next to nothing in terms of chances created, uh, created plenty themselves. Looked a constant threat. And then as soon as that first goal went in, 
just they just lost their heads, and and I think that's ultimately is is something that is within the DNA culture of that club. Um, and you know, I, I don't know how you get rid of it. We've seen over in England, we call it Spursiness, don't we? That it's Tottenham that continuously do these kind of things, um, and you know, it just seems a habit that you just can't get out of. Betting expert and odds compiler Mark Stinchcombe's with us once again. Stinch, Manchester United had their own embarrassment last weekend as Manchester City absolutely wiped the floor with them in the derby. How do you see this clash with Tottenham this weekend? Because it's an absolutely enormous fixture for both of them. Yeah, Man United, uh, maybe the English equivalent of PSG. Well, there, there are so many parallels. I mean, I'm always really, really loath to use the word lazy when I talk about players because I think I think generally it's too easy a criticism I think a lot of the time it's not true but I actually looked at that performance in the derby in the second half no running no pressing no effort especially once Mares had made it 3-1 you just thought hang on a minute this is supposed to be one of the biggest football clubs in the world yeah, I mean, um, I think the Man United problem is something that probably spoke about for years now and not something that I don't think any of us or anybody in the world of football has really got a, an overriding solution for other than maybe they should be working hard, a lot harder than, than they are. Um, but I think it's difficult to pinpoint uh, exactly what the what the issue is. Um so if Pochettino left PSG with all of the problems he's had there, an uncoachable, an uncoachable group of players, a club that gives too much power to the players, is he basically walking out of one situation and walking into exactly the same thing if he gets the Man United job, which he might not do, Ten Hag's been linked with it. But if he did make that move, it's out of the frying pan into the fire, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Probably not as extreme, I think, um... Probably there's less less egos at United, but probably still you know a substantial amount. Um, I probably think there's probably a bit more arrogance uh, at PSG than than there is United. But um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it is the the best move unless there's going to be a, a huge overhaul and financially that just you know if you you just can't you can't get rid of Maguire for any decent amount of money, can you? For example, like I I'm not saying he's the he's the main problem or whatever, but you know he's never he's never 80 million pounds worth. And if you're overhauling the team and he's the team captain, then I I would suggest that he 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 departs. But you know trying to get value for money there is is not going to be possible. I'm just like really. Surprised to see Man United chalked up at evens here on the sports book. I don't think anybody is going to be backing them at evens. Um, I thought quite interesting. We've got two new managers here. Oh, well, reasonably new. So I thought I'd just do a quick comparison uh, of where of where they're both at in the Premier League so far. So Ranić's been in charge of 14 games, won seven, drawn five, lost two. Doesn't actually sound that bad. They've taken 26 points, which is the third best. Uh, in this period, but they have played multiple games more than other teams. So the, there's a f- few fixtures on Thursday night, for example, where teams are catching up. Um, you compare that 26 points, though. You look at Newcastle; they've taken 21 points from 12 games, two games fewer, and uh, West Ham taking 21 points as well, and it includes five defeats for West Ham. So, despite being the third best, kind of a much of a muchness, um, I, I kind of think. Uh, you look at Spurs over the same period. Spurs have got a high expected goals for and a low expected goals against from one game fewer. To kind of feel that though they 
as I say, it's difficult to see why Man United are chalked up here as uh, apparently the better team. You look at Conte's 16 matches, 1-9, drawn three, lost four. So he's taken 30 points, which is the fourth best during that time. Um, although, again, multiple teams have played more games, so arguably that, that could be higher. But, you know, you, you look a little bit deeper and only Liverpool and Man City have, have a better expected goals for over that period. And they're joint third with Chelsea for expected points. So I think best case scenario when kind of analysing this game in terms of their abilities is I think we, I think we have to say 50-50 at least for uh, in in terms of uh, United's sake, I think you could take it further and say arguably Tottenham are better. But if you if you if at worst you say they're 50-50, I think if once you apply a home advantage, for me you're looking at United around about 2.3, so maybe like sort of six to five, and I'd say they're they're chalked up at even. So I think laying United around about 2.2 on the exchange would be would be where I'd be looking to head, and that's kind of before factoring in. The, the sort of doubts surrounding Ronaldo, Cavani, Shaw and Varane. Um, I think for Spurs' side, there's just really Sessegnon, um, but I think you've got a ready-made replacement there in, in Reguillon, uh, which kind of leads me quite nicely onto another bet, which I think looks a ginormous price, to be honest. Um, I'm not going to say I, I fancy goals, because um, at the end of the day, it's all about all about price, but Overs is the favourite. And I think we, we, we all know about United's um, poor defensive record. Uh, Mac Doherty seems to have been having a bit of a renaissance in that right wing slot since uh, since Conte took over. Or not necessarily since he, since he took over. He seems to have worked his way back into the team in the last couple of months. Anyway, he's got four assists in his last six Premier League games. And he's chalked up at 15-2 to two any, for an anytime assist. I just think that looks uh, quite big. Um, not just on the stats, but just watching Spurs. He just seemed to be... Um, in the groove in terms of finding himself in good positions very high up the pitch and literally his his goal has kind of just been can I put it on a plate for Kane and uh, yeah he's made a lot of good attempts in trying to do that in the so he's in the six Premier League games that he's played in, uh, he's created 13 chances. That's over two a game, obviously. And I know Sessegnon's not available, but he's on the other side in this, playing the same position, and he's only four to one for an assist. So I think you know they're they they should be uh, a lot closer together. Um, so yeah, the 15 to two to me looks quite big. Um, United, a top half for goals conceded, but they're actually the seventh worst for goals from open play, and that's kind of where I envisage if Mac Doherty does have some joy is in that gap. If United set up with a back four, I think he'll have space there before he engages with the fullback, maybe Tellers. Um, and also, I think that gives him space to run in behind. And I think uh, against Leeds, quite quite a couple of times he got in behind that back four. And obviously that leads to pullbacks. And you, when you've got also Son and Kulovzeski to pick out, I think, uh, yeah, if you're looking for a bigger price and you, and you fancy siding with Spurs, I think that's quite a nice bet. I think it's fair to say that Alex Tellez is not the most secure defensively as well. So I think he might get some joy. As Stinch says, Jake, what do you reckon to this one? Tottenham obviously on a high after absolutely hammering Everton. Although that's not that difficult these days. <laughs> Especially not away from Goodison Park. Yeah. Um, now, a very similar thought path. Um, I was interesting to hear him talk about Matt Doherty there because I did notice that um, you know the game against Everton, he was doing a bit of a sort of hybrid Cancelo role, um, where he was actually drifting central, and Kulusevski was the man holding the whip, which is where the assist for Kane's uh, super volley came from. So he picked the ball up really centrally um, and clipped one over the top, and that might be really interesting to keep an eye on. He's the new Philip Lahm, Jake. <laughs> he, he is, and you know the, the frustrating thing is that 
you know, Tottenham signed him from Wolves, didn't he? And then hired Wolves manager. But Wolves manager didn't play him in the same manner that he played him at Wolves, where, where he had loads of success. And then all of a sudden, Conte comes in, plays a back three with wing backs, and Doherty all of a sudden looks like a superstar again. It, it you know, I've just just baffled me that Nuno didn't even try to play a back five and play him in there. But anyway, that's a, a different uh, a story for a different day. Getting back on track, this um, <laughs> this game I think is is fascinating. I, I agree with Stinch his overall assessment. That United are too short. Um, you know, he's highlighted some key stats there in terms of sort of head to head, in terms of what Conte and Ralph have managed to do. Um, but based on expected goals, expected points, um, Tottenham have actually averaged more expected points per game than Manchester United um, under their respective managers, and they've actually had a tougher schedule based on the average forecast position of the of the opponents that they face. So United have had the easiest of schedules compared to Tottenham. Um, but actually performed worse. And that's both on expected points per game and on the overall expected goals process with Spurs on average around 0.3 XG better than Manchester United under respective managers. So um, all of that tells me is that Tottenham are a better team than Manchester United currently. They're playing in, in a much more consistent manner. Um, they're much better going forward in terms of creating chances and they're actually better defensively as well. Um, with Man United allowing around 1.3 expected goals against per game under Ranić, which... It's not bad. It's an improvement on the what we saw under Solskjaer, but again, they haven't been tested. I, I you know, I didn't realise until last week that the, the game against Manchester City was the first match Manchester United played against any of the traditional big six under Ralph Rangnick. And he'd been in charge for thirteen games, which is, you know, the, it kind of highlights the, the kindness of the, the of the schedule that he he sort of walked into. Um, and yeah, Tottenham have looked really good recently. Um, you mentioned the two results there: Leeds and Everton. All right, Man United are a little bit better than the pair of those, and they, they got leads at a potentially a good time. But the way in which they dealt with both was really good, and, and I think the the sort of differences and the, the nuances in the their approach in both matches really key uh, because they have got the capability to play in different ways. You know, they can play a high press if they want to with the likes of Kulusevski's son Ben Tenkor is really mobile. I'm a big fan of him, um, but also they can sit back and counter attack as they showed at the Etihad uh, and still be as devastating. So it's going to be a really interesting game to see how both teams approach it. I imagine Tottenham will probably sit back, try and play on that counter-attack because ultimately Manchester United for years have really struggled to, to break down a deep blind block. They've they've not they've never found a consistent way of creating loads and loads of chances against that kind of setup. Um and you know <laughs> you've got Harry Kane coming up against you know Maguire, you've got Son Kulosevsky running in behind Maguire and playing a high line just doesn't suit Maguire. Like put Put it bluntly and simply, you know, £80 million is a lot of money for a player that basically when he was at Leicester was playing in a deep deep line defence and all he had to do was block it, clear it um, and make tackles. Whereas now he's actually asked to defend high up and run run backwards quite a lot, um, which is why I think that, it, you know, Antonio Conte would have been a perfect manager for Manchester United because it would have helped players like Maguire who aren't as comfortable going backwards. Because he does, you know, when if you watch Conte's setup, they they do play quite a deep defence and quite a high line. There's a lot of space in midfield, which is, you know, why I think it's a really entertaining watch because it's just chaotic. I mean, even Everton did something similar. Everton played with a fairly high-ish line, but Tottenham's defensive line was so deep and it meant that the players, Hoiberg, Bentoncourt and Monday night could really get on the ball and really affect the game. When you've got Kane dropping into that space, Kulosevsky's son running off him, it is a dangerous combination. And I think that this probably going to be a, um, you know, rinse and repeat job for Spurs, to what they did on Monday night. They might not win 5-0, but I do think they'll get a result. So for me, I'm, I'm definitely going to be opposing Manchester United. And I just thought the 
the 1.8 on the Spurs plus 0.5 Asian handicap just looked a little bit too big for me. And, um, you know, you factor in that Manchester United, they played four games against teams that we forecast to finish in the top 10 this season. They've not won any of those, um, including a defeat to Wolves at Old Trafford. So Spurs come into that bracket. Effectively, Man United against the better teams aren't very good. Poor old Harry Maguire, that mismatch against Phil Foden left him looking like a bear lumbering after a kite. <laughs> now, we know that it's frustration when you get frozen out of a bet. So, Betfair now offering no cash out suspensions on match odds over under and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Uh, Brighton dropping like a stone, four straight defeats for them as they face Liverpool on Saturday. Jake, they're running into a Liverpool side that's looking pretty sharp at the moment, even though they lost to Inter Milan in midweek in the Champions League. It didn't matter. Yeah, it didn't matter. And I think the the sort of reaction to that defeat and the the performances over two legs was massively overblown. I mean, the, the pundits in the studio were basically saying Liverpool were fortunate to progress. And I was racking my brains trying to think if Inter have actually created a big chance over two legs. And the answer to that was no, obviously. Just a 0.8 expected goals over two legs, which is just, you know, an unbelievable defensive performance against the Italian champions and favourites for the Italian, uh, for the Scudetto this season. So, yeah, just massively overblown. I think Salah in his post-match press conference sort of highlighted exactly that. He said we created loads of chances, just didn't take them. You know, I think Salah hit the post twice, didn't he? And two good opportunities. But what we're seeing from Liverpool no matter the competition, is that they are creating a ton of chances. And I don't expect that to stop um, at Brighton, even though Brighton are one of the better defensive teams in the league. Um, yeah, you, you said they're dropping like a stone. I'm not too sure if they're going to be they're falling quick enough to be embroiled in a relegation scrap. I think they're still 11 or 12 points clear of the bottom three. But it is slightly worrying the fact that they've lost the last four, but they've lost the XG battle in all four as well. And that's not something that we have come to expect from Graham Potter's Brighton. They usually are um, very competitive when it comes to the XG battle, but they've allowed 1.6 expected goals against per game in those four matches, which is a, a big spike compared to what we've seen from them uh, across the rest of the season. And it's a huge concern as they welcome the best attacking team in the league um, to the Amex. Um, 2.5 expected goals for per game for Liverpool, which is... Uh, that's away from home. That's only away from home, which is is, is an exceptional number. It's the highest in the league by quite a way. Um, so just, there's nothing else I can do other than try and get Liverpool on side because I do think that they are in a bit of a juggernaut mode currently. They are just churning out results, whether they play well or not. They weren't great against West Ham last week, conceded a few good chances, but they created enough to deserve to win the match. Um, and, you know, Brighton, they, they are a team that get beaten heavily. They've lost eight matches this season. Seven of those have come with um, under three and a half goals. In the game also. The only one that went over was Man City going there and winning 4-1. Um, and only 23% of their matches all season have gone over twenty, uh, have gone over two and a half goals. So they are generally a low-scoring team. Um, and even against the better teams, they keep, tend to keep the, the score lines a little bit tighter. So Liverpool to win and under three and a half goals, the old podcast staple, around six to five, um, appealed to me. Now, we always seem to include a Serie A bet. This week is no exception. So much so that Mark and Stinch have selected the same game. Salernitana versus Sassuolo. Mark, I'm going to start with you. Why is this so alluring? <laughs> I'm fascinated to hear if Stinch is on the same lines or if he's got something different. But, um, yeah, uh, I fancy the away team to, to win this. Um, Salernitana are the worst team in Serie A. 
they are going to go back to Serie B. Um, great to have them back in the top flight, but uh, they have been the worst team. They're 10 points from safety with 12 games to play. Always a chance, obviously, but um, they've shown a bit more resistance this calendar year, or at least since they made the managerial change in February. But ultimately, three wins since promotion, a desperate lack of goals, chance creation, conversion, pretty poor defensive process as well. All combines, and they are the worst team in the division. If you exclude the bottom four, they've actually lost 17 of 22 league games this season. And I think they're going to find the going tough because uh, Sassuolo will go there and go and attack and will really go for them. Um, they've churned out three successive wins, all equally important in their own way. Um, winning away at San uh, Inter at San Siro, really impressive. Then beat Fiorentina in a bit of a basketball game at home. Uh, could have easily won that game much more comfortably. And then they dispatched Venezia last weekend 4-1 away from home. So if they can do that against Venezia, they're definitely a much stronger team defensively than Again, Salernitana, I uh, expect them to, to get a result here. They've scored 30 goals in 14 away days. Um, so only Milan are averaging a, a better goals per game output than Sassuolo on the road. They've scored twice or more in 10 of 14 away, including 7 of 9 against teams outside the top 6. And importantly as well, they've got all their sort of full complement of attacking players available, Berardi, Raspadori and, and Scamacca as well, who uh, combined of, you know, Goals and assists, I think they totaled around 35-40 in Serie A between them already this season. So yeah, Salernitana, one clean sheet all season. They're averaging 1.88 expected goals against per game. They've scored zero or one goal in 19 of 26. Um, so yeah, I think Sassuolo to win is an attractive price as it is. But you can add in over one and a half goals, which basically just excludes the 1-0. And you're getting even money. And I think that's more than fair for a team who are probably better than the league table suggests. Stinch, has he nicked all your stuff or have you got anything left? <laughs> well, I backed Sassuolo last week, but I completely disagree and I think Salernitana are a fantastic bet at 3-1 this week. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to win 5 nil, aren't they? <laughs> Un- unlikely, considering they've only managed 20 goals so far this season. And yeah, uh, they've conceded the most as well with 61, so it's you know, the worst attack and the worst defence. So it just seems like one-way traffic. Um, you know, Sassuolo seemed to really enjoy playing away from home. Um, scored two or more in 13 of their last 17 away games. They're third for the most shots away in Serie A, which when you consider the fact that, you know, we've got all the other fantastic teams in Serie A, it just goes to show how well Sassuolo like to attack away from home. Um, front four are looking really good at the moment. Berardi, Scamacca, Raspadori uh, and um, Hamed Traore. Um, first three all scored last weekend, albeit they were given three penalties, so a little bit of a help in hand. <laughs> um, but they got 32 goals between them. The first three, and then uh, Hammer Troy seems to have come into a little bit of form recently with three in his last five. Um, yeah, Salernitana haven't won a game, have won once since October. So, uh, despite the managerial change, I just think confidence is rock bottom. And as we always say, it all comes down to price at the end of the day. Uh, Milan went there, they were 1.33, Lazio 1.33, Inter 1.15, Juve 136, Napoli 133, Atalanta 1.3, and Roma 1.5. You consider in reverse fixture, Sassuolo 1.4, getting 1.85 on the exchange looks massive to me. Yeah, that does seem a very big price. Let's head over to Spain. Jake's got a La Liga selection for us. Yeah, uh, sticking with the entertaining game theme, I do feel like Villarreal versus Celta Vigo could be um, an absolute firecracker because Villarreal at home this season have been simply sensational from an entertainment standpoint. Uh, I think only Real Madrid and Sevilla have picked up more points at home this season uh, than Unai Emery's side. 
and they've averaged 2.34 expected goals for per game in front of their home crowd, which is uh, you know a staggering number, really. It just shows the the sort of attacking firepower that they have and the freedom in which they play with um, in front of their own fans. Only Real Madrid have actually got a better XG process than Villarreal uh, at, in home games, and they welcome a Celta Vigo side who the the process suggests that they do see quite a lot of chances at both ends when playing away from home. I think the 1.15 expected goals for a 1.51 expected goals against per away match. So they're themselves very open and expansive when they play away from home. Just in general, you only have to look at the recent matches. I think Celta were involved in a 4-3 last week. Uh, Villarreal a couple of weeks back was a, a 4-1 home game. So there are plenty of goals. And I do think that the fact that Villarreal do play in the Champions League on uh, is it Tuesday or Wednesday against Juventus? We'll see Wednesday. them potentially yeah. rotate a few a few players, which could make them slightly more vulnerable, um, but shouldn't affect their attacking output too much. So I do think we'll, we'll see an entertaining game. I think both teams to score just looks a touch big at one point nine two, um, especially when the overs is is, is shorter at one point eight three. If it's going to go overs this game, I do feel like Celta will get on the score sheet. Now, do you feel an unfair moment has cost you a winning bet? Well, let Dimitar Varbatov know. See what we've done. He's called Dimitar Berbatov. We've used VAR to call him Varbatov. This is prize-winning, award-winning stuff. Now, let Dimitar Varbatov know, and you could get your bet paid out. Imagine that. Send any examples of footballing injustice over the weekend to @betfair on social media using the hashtag VARBATOV, and the former Spurs and Manchester United striker will make his ruling. Stinch is on the Oxford train again. Where is it stopping this week? Yeah, they're at, um, I'm not sure what the, I wanted to say Gay Meadow, but I know Shrewsbury have moved to a different ground now. <laughs> uh, we we'll difficult back a bit there. Yeah, it's difficult to keep up with the new names, but yeah, they're off to Shrewsbury. Um, hoping, hopefully that my lack of knowledge of what Shrewsbury's current ground is isn't going to happen. The new Meadow, me isn't it? Is it the new Meadow? I'm sure there's a meadow in the title still. The Shrewsbury right, you're, fan's furious at home. You're, you're, the, you're the EFL expert, right? So we'll, we'll well, lean it's a on sponsorship name, I think. So yeah, uh, exactly. I'm sure, that, I'm sure it's still traditionally called the New Meadow or something like that. Okay. okay. Well, we'll just say it's the Meadow. They're off to the Meadow this yeah. weekend. I just think uh, I think train is a fantastic description, really, because Oxford are literally on a on a train. They have been probably for the best part of three seasons. I mean, uh, losing playoff semi finalists two seasons ago. Um, Sorry, last season, season before, runner-up in the in the final, and currently sitting in the top six now. Um, literally, they they are very much flat track bullies, especially against the bottom half side. So that's just what I'm continuing, really. I mean, they're priced up at uh, eleven to ten this weekend away at Shrewsbury. Um, I just think if this was this was like a, a Premier League and a more um, a team that we're more sort of familiar with in terms of seeing on TV regularly, they would be, I think they would be a lot shorter. I kind of feel as though they're like a similar to a Klopp side when he first took over at Liverpool, very much heavy metal, not the real control of games, but they are just absolutely blistering going forward. I mean, the top scorers in the division by far and away. And, you know, I've mentioned the the last two podcasts and they've gone away and scored four goals in both games. And I think that just really goes to really goes to show. And there's no I don't think there's any way a Liverpool team would be odds against away to sort of a a mid table, mid table of a bottom half team, 
basically so yeah i think the the 11 to 10 represents lots of value and i just think because of that it, is, it enables us to back oxford minus a quarter on the asian handicap around about 1.95 so you just got that um flexibility that if it does finish in a draw you're going to get half half your stake back and given the fact that Oxford have won 19 games a season, 14 of them have been the bottom half size just to show their sort of uh, profligacy against these teams. And that's from a, a 20 matches. So that's a 70% strike rate. And yet uh, the odds suggest here that they've got a less than 50% chance of winning. Um, as I mentioned, they scored the most goals in the division. It is worth pointing out that Shrewsbury have got the third best defence in League One, but they should have conceded 10 more goals based on expected goals against, which is the worst uh, in terms of overperformance. So um, I feel like that could come back to bite them, especially against you know a red-hot Oxford attack. Look at Shrewsbury against the top half this season at 1-2, drawn 5, lost 10. So they failed to win 15 of those 17 matches so again with the security of half your money back if it's a draw i think uh again you've got there's a lot of uh, positive uh, expected value here um they've met 10 times since 2017 in league one oxford has scored 23 in those meetings and actually it's quite kind of bizarrely the last three trips here oxford have uh, registered dramatic 3-2 victories so maybe some, more of a similar to come but again steve cottrell who's the current manager shows we oxford have won 2-0 3-2 and 4-1, so despite the fact they've their defence has been good, but as I said, has been overachieving, I do think Oxford will be able to find holes in order to, to create good chances. And Oxford last season here were 4-5, to five. so I know the crowds are back, but 4-5 to five to 11-10 to 10, when I would argue Oxford are playing better, uh, I think again, just as you mentioned, carry on with the Oxford train. When it comes to Oxford, Stinch has done more successful detective work than Inspector Morse. Uh, Mark, you want to take us to the Swiss Super League to see some old friends of the show. Yeah, time to mention FC Zurich again. Uh, they're on the cusp of winning the Swiss Super League. They are going to win the league. They're 15 points clear. Um, but yeah, we mentioned them early doors in the season when they were flying high. And I've just been really, really impressed that they've managed to sustain themselves through the season um, and after the winter break as well, which can often disrupt plans. But they're unbeaten in 17 league games now. They've won 14 of those. And at home, they've dropped points just twice in 12, winning 10. Uh, goal scoring hasn't been an issue all season. They've failed to score just once. They've scored twice or more in 18 of 25, and they're averaging 2.36 goals per game. And that hikes to 2.75 when playing at home. So, yeah, I mean, the only negatives I have against Zurich this weekend are the fact that the title's already sewn up. There might be a bit of complacency. They're not going to win every game between now and the end of the season. So there is a, a live danger there in St. Gallen this weekend. But the price on Zurich to win is just too big to ignore. They're 1.9. Um, just too big for a team who are 15 points clear, who are scoring goals for fun, uh, are unbeaten in 17 games and have an almost flawless home record. Um, St. Gallen, to be fair, have been playing really good football. They're unbeaten in... In seven since the winter break, they've drawn 3-3 and 2-2 of Young Boys and Basel in that sequence. But both of those clubs are a bit of a mess domestically at the minute. Um, they are very, very gung-ho. They love to get forward. They love to score goals. But defensively, they are a bit of a shambles themselves. And they've conceded three goals in both of their meetings with Zurich already this season. So, you know, you expect Zurich to score at least twice in this match. And if they do so, surely the win comes into 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 picture as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, Zurich have been going off inflated prices most of the season. That's because their underlying process doesn't quite match the dominance of their overall results. But St. Gallen have lost 7 of 12 away. They give up 2.17 goals per game away and 1.86 expected goals away from home. They've kept just three clean sheets all season. 
The goal expectancy for the game is around 3.2. Um, it should be a high-scoring match, but I expect Zurich to come through. Uh, I expect Zurich to go off around 1.7 in fairness. Um, if they keep uh, the same 11 together, then uh, they should be too strong. So quotes of 1.9 are just a bit too big to ignore. Well, now it's time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a feature so renowned that when Kanye wrote Gold Digger, it was originally called Gold Digger. It was about him chasing a treble with three BTTS bets. Uh, how this works is the three guys each come up with a selection and then our lovely traders wrap them up in a boosted treble. Who am I going to go for first? I'm going to go for Stinch. I'm going to back Tottenham double chance based on our discussions earlier. Okay. Mark, what have you got for us? Uh, I'll take both teams to score when Arsenal play Leicester on Sunday for okay. reasons I'll mention on Sunday's show. Yes, we're going to talk about that in the Sunday show. Lots of uh, good content in there as well. And Jake, take us home. I was going to go for something in the Arsenal game. So I have to pivot. We'll go to the Leeds versus Norwich match. Leeds to win um, against Norwich. And okay. Yeah, I, they, they were really unlucky not to beat Leicester last weekend and really positive signs under under Je- Jesse Marsh. Obviously, both teams play on Thursday. We're recording Thursday. So, um, you know, I just think they'll prove too strong. Yeah, I thought it was going to be BTTS in that Leicester-Leeds game and I was very disappointed to find that that wasn't the case. But there we go. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly and do remember we've got a Sunday show coming up. Cheltenham Festival next week. All of the best coverage is on betting.betfair.com including exclusive insight from legendary trainer Paul Nichols, From Jake, from Mark, from Stinch and from me. It's goodbye for now.